my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, one way businesses are countering inflation is to shrink the packages your items come in. I've got a tip for you when you're shopping. Also, I'm talking travel. Do you have frequent flyer miles sitting in your account? I'll tell you what I want you to do with them. So it was a hot item on a lot of the morning TV shows a few weeks ago. You know, one saw another do it, so another did it, and on like that. Shrinkflation. It's a key phrase that's being used right now to describe what packaged goods makers are doing in retail stores and in supermarkets. So they actually typically keep the package the same size, but they reduce the amount of contents in the package. So it means that you are paying what you think is the same price. But then you open the bag of chips or whatever, and gosh, it sure doesn't seem like there's a lot there. And this really is going on. I, I shared with you that I'm a longtime Dollar Tree aficionado. And I remember how many ounces there are in each thing. Hot tamales have continually reduced from six ounces for a $1 box to 5.5 to now 5.0. AIM toothpaste, 7.2 to 6.0 to 5.5 to now I think it's 5.0 for a number of ounces of toothpaste and on like that. I may be wrong on the exact ounces on the AIM. That would really undermine my credibility, wouldn't it? Anyway, but this is happening as you shop. So how do you counteract this at a time that there are obvious price pressures on manufacturers, on retailers, on the supermarkets? What do you do? Well, you pivot a number of ways. First things first, go back to a boring standard. Boring, except your wallet loves it. Check the unit pricing. Unit pricing is your friend to combat shrinkflation. So my wife recently wanted me to get uh, either Gatorade Zero or Powerade Zero. And I was in the supermarket, and I'm looking at both of them. And turns out the bottles look the same, but one had been through shrinkflation and the other had not. So the riddle grows because the bottle had shrunk on the Powerade Zero, but it stayed the same on the Gatorade Zero. But then when I looked at the unit pricing, the price of the Powerade Zero was cheaper per ounce, and it was my purchase. Now, who else would do that but me? I want you to be doing stuff like that. And I want you to be looking at the store brands. See, that's where your interests and the retailer or supermarket's interests align perfectly. They want you to buy their store brand instead of the uh, nationally advertised brand. They make a higher margin on the store brand. And you get a lot more product 
of something that today, unless the retailer's dumb, the quality is going to be as good or better than the nationally advertised brand. So also watch very closely new and improved right now. New and improved is a standard marketer's tool anytime a company is trying to push through price increases. And they'll say new and improved, and what new and improved means is it's a new package with less product or higher price. Very seldom is it actually something different. Don't get conned by that. And it's so I, sneaky. Yes, and I do want you to hold out hope that the pricing problems we've been having, that in, in a lot of categories, these are temporary disruptive effects from the pandemic and our recovery from the pandemic. And you're going to see first at the wholesale or what's known as producer level, you're going to see in a variety of product categories that the prices start moderating again. And there are going to be some categories where we've got some baked-in inflation, but in others, this is not a time of galloping inflation or anything like that. I mean, just look what happened with the lumber prices, where that was a hot story all over the financial press for about two months about how lumber prices were going through the roof. Well, it turned out there was a lot of hoarding going on. And people, as the price was going up, they were buying for future needs. And they were exacerbating the shortage. Just like we had last year with toilet paper and paper towels and um, hand sanitizer and blah, blah, blah. Um, the marketplace behavior was running the prices up. And now lumber prices have collapsed. So the run-up was part real, part artificial. And now the prices have been coming back down to earth. And this is, this is a natural cycle. And we'll know over time if there is real inflation. Uh, I'm not convinced yet that we have real inflation in the economy. And I could be proven wrong, but I'm not convinced yet. Krista? Okay, Clark Iago in Texas says, Hi, Clark. My dad and I have been listening to your podcast for as long as I can remember, so we are huge fans. I'm now 15, which means that I can finally start working. Where do you think that I should apply to, and when is the best time of the year to start applying? How much of the money I earn should I save, and where do you recommend I save it? Well, Iago, in terms of looking for jobs at 15, most employers don't want you yet till your 16th birthday, but many do want you. You can actually put in on Google or any other search engine jobs for 15-year-olds. And we did that. My son is also 15 like you. And we did that, and we discovered that he could be a lifeguard. So he went and had Red Cross certification to become a lifeguard. And there's a shortage. He immediately got a job as a lifeguard. And... So if you look at one of those lists, you'll see the things you can or can't. Well, actually, the, if you put in jobs for 15-year-olds, you'll see all the ones you can do and find something that either you need to get a skill set like my son did or something you can do just by breathing and being 15. As for the, how much of your money you should save, I would love it for you to start a lifelong habit of saving half of what you make. 
You start that at 15 and you learn that mentality and live that way, it will give you financial independence for your entire life. There are going to be times in your life that you can't save that percent. But if you've gotten that mentality in place and that habit, it makes a huge difference. What I would do with the money is I would open a Roth IRA, which you've heard me talk about over the years, where you can put the money up to $6,000 a year into a tax-free investment account that grows tax-free and you leave it alone all the way till retirement, the money will have doubled over and over and over and over again over 50 years and you get all that money tax-free. But even if you needed the money down the road for down payment on a house or uh, to buy a first car or something like that, you can pull all your earnings out uh, I'm sorry, all your contributions out tax-free, as long as you leave your earnings behind, it is an absolute home run for you. Pat in Pennsylvania says, I often hear you say that it is best to file your taxes ASAP to lessen the likelihood of someone filing as if they are you if a refund is expected. I have to wait until all of my 1099s come in and often revised ones come as late as February. I just heard that the IRS now allows everyone to apply for an identity protection pin, not just identity theft victims. What do you think? Is this a good idea? Yes, it is. And I did mention this earlier this year, um, and it's great that you brought it up and that I can mention it again. So originally, the pen program was experimental, and it was only available at first in the state of Florida, and then Georgia was added and for people who've been victims of identity theft. Uh, you may wonder why Florida and Georgia, they historically had had the highest number of taxpayers as a percent of all taxpayers who were victims of tax ID theft. The program then was suspended for a while to deal with some bugs in it, and now it's been fully rolled out and is a program available to anyone, and it's a great idea to do. Just don't lose your pen. What it does is even if somebody pretended to be you and tried to file a false tax return as if they are you, they can't do it because they don't have your pen. And Kelly in Wyoming says, I have a credit card with a big bank with only a $500 limit. I've had this card for around seven years. They charge a $75 annual fee. What? I have only one other credit card that I use. I'd like to cancel the big bank card because of the fee and low limit, but I don't want to hurt my credit score. My credit score is a 750. Should I cancel this card? Yes, you should cancel that card. And shame, shame, shame on that stinking, rotten, giant monster mega bank that is cheating you by charging you a $75 annual fee on a non-reward card with only a $500 limit. You have another card that only people with really good credit scores can get. So there's nothing wrong with your credit score, obviously, with it being 750. This giant monster mega bank ripping you off to the max. What you do is you do my leapfrog method. Go get another card. Because of your great credit standing, go ahead and get one like the City Double Cash. Or if you have any accounts with Fidelity Investments, get one of their 2% reward cards, both of them pay you 2% cash back on everything you do. And then once you've been approved for one of these other cards, then cancel that 
piece of garbage banks, piece of garbage credit card. What do you think? I think I'm really, really neutral about the four <laughs> giant monster mega Totally. <laughs> When's the last time you looked at your airline miles balances? I'm going to tell you why you need to do that right now. A lot of people are obsessed with travel. A lot of people enjoy travel. Then there are others who like, what a pain. Um, I love travel. And through the pandemic, I was in semi-quarantine till I got my second vaccine. So I went 11 months, almost 12, without doing normal daily activities. Never went on a commercial flight, nothing like that. As soon as I got my second vaccine, was two days out, I was back in the air, and I've flown continuously since. I mean, I love it. You know what else I noticed? I have um, a couple of airline mileage cards tied in with my companies. And so over the pandemic, I kept accumulating incredible numbers of points. And I'm sitting with a mountain of miles. And a lot of people who are avid travelers like I am now have a lot of points with one of the three full-fare airlines, American United or Delta, or any of the other airlines where they have built up points. Well, let me tell you something. There may be wines that get better with age, although I understand that a lot of that's not true with wine. I don't know. I don't drink wine. But airline miles and hotel points, they do not get better with age. Because they're not your points. They belong to that airline or to that hotel chain. And at any point, they issue devaluations where you think so many points, hey, that's going to be enough to get me to wherever because it did last time. And then you go look and suddenly you need three times the points. Several airlines now don't even publish mileage rewards anymore. It's whatever they want to make it on that day, on that flight. So if you're back out and about having gotten your second vaccine, know that those points you have, burn them. Burn them. I'm working down my points now. And I never thought it was a great thing to be sitting with a mountain of points. And I don't recommend you do that. Now, some of the mileage programs are third-party cards where they're held not with an airline. That's much better. Where they have a formula where it's based on the price of a ticket and those points convert into a purchase of a ticket that helps you avoid the rook that comes from the big airlines and the big hotel chains. Uh, one thing I wanted to say about the vaccines is if you're somebody who wants to go overseas, uh, to Hawaii, you want to go to Europe, whatever, the vaccine is going to be key to you being able to go. The European Union just reached a 27-nation agreement 
that Americans, subject to final ratification, but Americans that are vaccinated are going to be able to travel anywhere within the European Union. Americans that are not vaccinated apparently aren't going to be able to travel at all to Europe. Uh, the other development is that starting July 1st, the European Union is going to have a digital certificate that you have to enroll for, where you will take your vaccine card and somehow they think they have some kind of procedure, they're going to be able to ferret out frauds. And you're going to have a digital certificate that will be downloaded to your phone as an app and will be your verification and proof. Um, I wouldn't hold your breath. That's always going to work as you travel around Europe. It would be a good idea to have at least a copy of your actual vaccine card or if you trust yourself, take your actual vaccine card with you. If you do decide to go to Europe the latter half of summer or the rest of this year, um, Hawaii is coming very close to allowing mainlanders from anywhere in the United States to travel to Hawaii without restrictions as long as you provide solid proof with your vaccine card that you have uh, done the double vax, or in the case of the J&J, &J, that you have had your vaccination. And that looks like it's going to be key to traveling to most destinations outside the U.S. mainland is having had the vaccine and being able to prove it. Krista? Clark, Linda says you pointed out that home renovations provide only 50% return on your investment. Will you please clarify the difference between home renovations and home repairs? How detrimental to your home investment is not keeping up necessary home repairs like a crack in the floor, foggy windows from broken seals, etc. I'm in a home that's over 20 years old. It has the original oven and stove and leaking faucets. How long would you keep original appliances if they still technically work? Our landscape is also 20 years old with overgrown or dead plants. Does investing in Xeriscape landscaping make good financial sense? So, Linda, I love your question. Now, economists call what we're talking about here with your question deferred maintenance, which is different than deciding to redo your bathroom, add a new bedroom, uh, you know, in addition to your home, putting in a brand new kitchen with new cabinets and all that. So it is a distinction with an important difference. When you are going to sell your home, having repairs done, having things sound is really, really important, which is a different matter entirely than saying, you know, this bathroom looks really dated. I'm going to put it in a new bathroom. When you put in that new bathroom, strictly for your enjoyment. On the other hand, you got leaking faucets. That's going to come up on any home inspection report. You're going to have to fix it anyway. Uh, what I like for somebody to do when it comes time that you're going to sell your home is that you, with an older home, consider paying an inspector to come do an inspection to your home to find the things that are likely things that are going to pop up on an inspection report, you get them done. You have that inspection report with the repair invoices 
showing you identified the problems and you dealt with them. On the landscaping, landscaping makes an enormous difference in the appeal in the marketplace for your home. I don't look at that at all as a renovation, although it certainly is an improvement to the curb appeal of a home. And Krista, you'll have to educate me. What is Xeriscape? I believe that's landscaping that doesn't really take a lot of maintenance. Oh, well, I'm always in favor of that. (laughs) When you're selling your home, it needs to be really beautiful from the curb. And kind of related, Sharon in Florida says, what is the best way to take out a loan for a home improvement project? If the home improvement project is one that you can pay off what the cost in three years or less, do a home equity line of credit, a HELOC, which is a floating rate loan. Uh, It's dangerous past three years. If you're going to need to borrow the money and take more than three years to pay it back, that gets risky with the likelihood that interest rates are going to move up eventually um, from where they are now at very low rates. The alternative is if you're a member of a credit union or if you're not yet joined one, credit unions have a specialty product that is called a home equity loan. Home equity loan is a fixed rate for a 5, 10, or 15-year period that is designed typically for doing improvements to a home and a renovation or repairs. The interest rates on a five-year window, very favorable. The interest rates on a 15-year window, ugly, 10-year kind of in between. Okay, and Justin in Massachusetts says, I'm aware of credit card sign-up bonuses and the concept of churning to maximize rewards and sign-up bonuses, as well as all the pros and cons related to doing that. However, I recently read about a person who does this with saving and checking account sign-up offers. I can think of a few pros and cons to opening a bunch of bank accounts solely for the sign-up offers myself, so I wanted to ask you about your take on this idea. So opening a bunch of bank accounts only to earn the sign-up offer and then abandoning or closing them. Good idea or bad? Justin, if the banks are dumb enough to offer these things, then you should take the money and run. It is a form of reverse bank robbery that you'd be doing. No, I guess it would be. (laughs) It'd be legal bank robbery, not reverse. Mm -hmm. Reverse bank robbery is when the bank cheats you. The banks have discovered that when they offer these large signups for checking accounts that are typically targeted towards people with Uh, particular profiles they're looking for that very seldom do people, even when they intend to, get around to closing those accounts. If you are a disciplined individual that you would open these accounts, pick up their $500, $750, $1,000, whatever it is, and you would really follow the, the calendar and the day you can close the account and have received the big money, you'll do it. Go for it. Okay, and then Steve in Florida says, what insurance should I have in case I become unemployed or die to make sure the mortgage gets paid? Steve, um, good question. So the uh, issue of death. So mortgage companies push very hard something that they call behind our backs croak and choke insurance. It is mortgage life and potentially mortgage life and disability insurance. It is an extremely expensive product 
that, ironically enough, you're paying the premiums to insure the bank, that the bank knows they're going to get their money. This is bad, ugly. You don't want to pay premiums to insure somebody else. But that's not the worst part. Typical bank-sold mortgage life insurance and mortgage life and disability insurance costs about 10 times or more what it would cost to buy a real policy that would insure you. If you're worried about the mortgage, you should be worried about more than that. The life's expenses that exist for the loved ones you left behind extend well past the mortgage, and paying off the mortgage in full at time of your death may not be the best alternative for your survivors. What I recommend instead is that you buy a simple level-term life insurance policy that will provide coverage for the loved one or loved ones that you want to be protected in the event of your untimely demise. I have a guide to what level-term insurance is and how to go about buying it, places you can buy it from on Clark.com. Simply what it means is you buy it for a term, typically 10 to 30 years, at a set premium, and it's extremely cheap to buy. Okay, the unemployment aspect, that's a whole different thing. In the event of a mortgage, and you're worried about losing a home because of a period of unemployment, the best way to deal with that is by building up rainy day money, savings account money. Um, Insuring against unemployment is usually a very expensive product tied in with a mortgage. I would rather you take a certain amount of money every month and automatically move it from your paycheck every pay period or every month directly into a savings account that is for the rainy day, the unexpected in your life. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.